cash, every movie costs $2,184. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Backtracks Theme Music. My name is Corey Morissette, joined, as always, by the legendary John Marietto. And speaking of legendary, John, uh, we're covering a legendary character here today. No ticket. <laughs> of all the quotes you could have picked, you, you picked that one from Last Crusade? Snakes? I hate snakes, Jake. Is that what it, Jock. Jacques. Jacques, right? Jacques. Yep. <laughs> Jacques. See, the reason why I went with that one was I knew I wouldn't screw up the screw screw up the no ticket. I see. I see. Uh, we're talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Obviously, this film is still in theaters. Uh, John and I just saw it on opening weekend here. This is going to air a few weeks uh, after that. So spoilers abound, people. Uh, kind of like uh, the the Flash movie. Uh, we're going under the assumption that nobody out there cares about spoilers because you're not going to the movie. Um, it opened at 60 million, which it's actually not terrible. It opens kind of on par with Mission Impossible movies. The problem is, is that it costs so damn much money to make that it's never, ever going to see a profit uh, on its theatrical run. But this is an Indiana Jones film, not directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, not uh, co-written by uh, George Lucas. Uh, we got James Mangold taking the reins here. And John, maybe let's just get your overall impressions of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, first, let me speak. To, uh, James Mangold hasn't hasn't put that put out a movie I haven't enjoyed yet up until now. Um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is a fine movie, um, but this is an Indiana Jones movie for me that doesn't feel like a very very Indiana Jones movie. Um, I have enough problems with it. Um, and it's not the problems that you're hearing from critics, right? Like. I think that for the most part, the characters in this movie are good. And I think their stories track pretty well. I actually love the story between Indy and his goddaughter. And I love their dynamic for the most part. Um, I, I I really feel like I, I love her motives. I wish that her um, character arc was a little bit clearer um, as far as when, when her character turns. Um, but her motives at the beginning of the movie are very much different than her motives at the end of the movie. It would have been nice to see some of those teachings with Indy start to glimmer and resonate rather than it be kind of like all of a sudden like a an awakening towards the end of the movie, for lack of a better way of, of, of phrasing it. But it's almost like she turns on a dime as opposed to like there being more of a progression where there are glimmers of this goodness in her. It's almost like the Flash, right? And uh, Supergirl yeah. uh, making kind of a similar thing. Uh, one of the things, um, this movie is too long in action sequences. It could use a little more character exposition. Like uh, like yeah. you said, uh, she has an arc, but it's it's kind of muddy in the middle uh, when, when we make that turn. But I love the dichotomy of her and Indy early on because he's very mm -hmm. much, and her dad was of the, this belongs in a museum, whereas she's all about the money. I actually think there was a tremendous opportunity missed. I think there's a scene missing from this movie. I don't think it's actually missing, but I think they, they, they there was an extra scene they needed to shoot. And Indy has a friend in this movie that gets introduced who dies. And it is a, a, a shame in a lot of ways, but it's a good learning thing. And Indy, like she, she's all celebratory that they get away, and Indy goes, my friend just died, right? And I think there should be a scene after that scene 
where where you kind of get to see Indy in mourning a little bit, and you get to see her that kind of turn her more. I think there was a great opportunity there. Um, but because the other problem is that the way the movie is edited and put together, that the next time we see Indy, it's like he's over his friend dying and she's already started that character turn. And I think that's where you put that progression is right in there. Yeah. And uh, for me, uh, I think you can eliminate an entire character from this film. Uh, and that's the kid, Teddy. And that friend of Indy's that gets murdered, he didn't have to be. He could have solved a problem with the third act that you needed Teddy there for which if we talk about the third act and, and the big swing it takes, uh, we can talk about it then, but you didn't have to kill that character. He he could have been flying the plane, uh, if you get what I'm saying. She she could have been flying that plane. Yeah, anybody could have. Right, right. Maybe because she was stowed away on Indy's plane. She didn't need to be on Indy's plane. She could have been flying the other plane, and it would have been just as much for her to do. And and it would, it would I think it would have worked better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's a... Uh, a kid, uh, Teddy uh, character, you don't need it all. Uh, that's one of my main gripes of the film is that was completely unnecessary. Uh, a lot of little nitpicks here and there. Overall, I'm I'm kind of mildly positive uh, on the film as a whole, but we'll get more into that as we're talking during the song here. But for the first time uh, on our show, John, we're going to cover the Beatles. You ever hear of them? We, uh, have I heard of the Beatles? They're, they're a little skiffle group uh, from Liverpool. I don't know. They're not real popular. Well, what I love is... When you hear the song in the movie, and like my heart brightened up that they put a Beatles song in an Indiana Jones movie, and Indy's reaction to it, which makes all the sense in the world, is turn that racket down, <laughs> right? And they turn Indy into a grumpy old man, and I know that gets a lot of um, criticism from people, but I don't get the feeling that indie would have ever been into rock music the whole idea is indie's a man of the past right and if you look at indie being a man of the past there's no way he'd be progressive enough in his life to embrace new things like rock music we're, we're at a time of change we're in the year um, 1969 and 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 times they are changing we're walking on the moon we we, we have all, all the vietnam protests going on and we have the Beatles. And these are not things that Indy, who's a man of history, wanting to put things in a museum, would care much about. Because this is this is the progress of the world. It's very much, this is a film of Indy against progress. Yeah. Uh, almost like Crystal Skull was to a little bit. They go much further uh, in, in this film with that. And like you said, a lot of people, I think, were uh, put off by Indiana Jones in his underwear, sleeping in his easy chair. Uh, going to yell to kids for turning that racket down. But I don't know. It made sense to me anyway. I think it's kind of funny that we're covering uh, a Beatles song from a Beatles movie, but we're not covering that movie. We're uh, covering that song uh, in a much different film. Because this gave us a chance to talk about Indy as a whole and Indy in this movie and the Beatles all in one shot. I mean, and we're not, I'm going to warn people now. There's no way we're going to cover the Beatles and their entire catalog and everything. We will talk about this song tonight. This will not be the last Beatles song we cover. No, uh, th this is more the vehicle to talk about uh, Indiana Jones and specifically Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But yeah, if I was going to play a Beatles song tonight, it probably wouldn't be Magical Mystery Tour. Um, I, I I know our, our good buddy Scott Haskin, he really loves the psychedelic Beatles stuff, uh, Sergeant Pepper's uh, and Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, I'm more, uh, my favorite Beatles album was always uh, Rubber Soul. 
Uh, I'm more earlier Beatles. I, I like kind of the early rock and roll aspect of it. I can appreciate later stuff like Sgt. Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, they really got me back with stuff like Let It Be uh, and uh, and stuff like that. So I don't listen to Magical Mystery Tour a ton, uh, but it was kind of nice to hear it pop up in Indiana Jones. Yeah, it, look, look, it was nice to hear something familiar, and it really brings you into the movie. It brings you into Indy's world. And the fact that it's such a, a, a light and happy song and Indy's like, turn that racket down, right? There's a lot of that that, that um, Clint Eastwood, like, get off my lawn mentality going on with Indy. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the MacGuffin uh, before we get into it here. And we're talking about the uh, Antikythera mechanism which is a real thing. I actually watched a special on it before I, I saw the movie. Uh, it, it's a it's a thing that was found that dates uh, way back to uh, 200 BC uh, in Archimedes, uh, and nobody knows what it's it's for. It's like an early version of a computer. Um, it, it could have been used to help, uh, you know, with weather patterns or, or what have you. There's a lot of theories about what uh, the Antikythera mechanism is. Uh, in this film, they kind of take it a step further, almost like they do with, like, the Ark of the Covenant. In that, if you take the lid off, it'll melt everybody's face, or uh, you know the Shankara stones and all that, the Shankara stones, excuse me. And this one here, uh, and again, spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen Indiana Jones, you want to keep it completely clean. Uh, we're going to delve into it a little bit here, but in this film, uh, it actually uh, predicts uh, fissures in time, which would allow someone to possibly, potentially, with mathematics, go back in time. I think this was a a, a problematic MacGuffin. I do. I think it was um, a little bit too big. I know this is Indy's last ride and all of that. Um, every other movie, including the aliens, um, the MacGuffin is fairly self-contained. It's not going to be witnessed by many people. Um, you, you know, and the aliens are interdimensional aliens. And I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson speak about the possibility and probability of if there are aliens, them being into interdimensional beings so that's rooted in some kind of scientific theory at least um not that this isn't rooted in scientific theory it just when you play with time in movies you open yourself up to the the the, the um paradox of, of tampering with time especially when you're going in the, into the past um, if you go into the future, you'll probably mess around a little bit more because we don't know what the future is going to be. When you go into the past, you know, you still have to get to the same endpoint. And if you mess with the past, you probably don't. It's the butterfly effect. And they stop on several butterflies when they go into the past in this movie. And I think I have a lot of problems with that. And I, I, I get what you're saying. For me, it didn't bother me so much because as long as it works in the universe of the film, every film has different rules for time travel. Uh, and this film doesn't really establish any rules uh, for time travel. Uh, just that at one point uh, you see uh, something on Archimedes' tomb and, and you know, it's uh, a, a phoenix with uh, propellers on it. They're like, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, but it's, only, it's because of what happens uh, in the third act. So the butterfly effect much less uh, effective uh, in Dallas Destiny as opposed to uh, the Flash, which we talked about not that long ago, where uh, you move a, a can of tomatoes and you completely change the course of everything, where the Batman's different, uh, alien babies are murdered, like just everything changes. Uh, so in some, as long as it fits uh, in the uh, what you've established in the film, then I'm okay with it. The problem I think I had with the time travel in this movie is that they don't really do that. Like in Endgame, Avengers Endgame, they, they say, 
this isn't bad. Our time travel doesn't work like back to the future. You, you can't change the past. I think the past is the past when you're in the past and you, you're looking towards the future. I'm fine with all that. So as long as it's in universe, that's cool. The problem is, uh, to your point, John, is I don't think they establish what their rules are in this universe. So if you're going by like uh, flash logic and other films logic, uh, yeah, what happens in the third act would be a colossal problem moving forward into the future. Yeah. And, and, and I think that they leave too much evidence behind. Yeah. And, and like, I get, you know, you and I talked off air about the possibility of multiple timelines and this and that, and a, a, none of that's established. And B, I think that also then becomes problematic because then what future are, there's no guarantee when, when you do that, there's no guarantee that you're going back to the same future, mm-hmm. right. Or the same present. And, and things are a lot more calculated. So, so I think when you play with time and time travel, you open yourself up for more problems than maybe the script's ready to deal with. Yeah. You gotta be a little tighter in the script uh, when you're dealing with, with time travel, because like I said, every time travel movie seems to have different time travel rules, uh, establish them off the hop and, and, and stay with them. And I'm with you. But you, you kind of leave them loosey goosey, like hot tub time machine too. Then you're going to have problems. I also I also ascribe to, to the Steven Spielberg theory that if you're judging the shark by the third act, we didn't do our job in the first two acts. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's enough heavy lifting in the first two acts to establish time travel. Like it almost seems like it's a thing that's kind of sprung up on us towards the end of the movie, and and. I think that there needed to be more legwork, almost like how, how they they really use the diary to establish um, the 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 the, uh, the cup of Christ in, in uh, Last Crusade. There needed to be a little bit more of that. Um, I know we don't get a lot established with the Ark of Covenant, but they do talk a lot about its great power that it has throughout the movie. Right, um, the stones. There isn't much to them. They seem like they just kind of get hot. And, and, and they burn the bag, but th- there isn't much magic to them. Um, well, they do establish it, though, in that they're magic. Yeah, uh, the magic yeah, stones, yeah. they talk about it all throughout the thing. Uh, in each one of those movies, there's an exposition scene uh, in Raiders has the best one, where he's talking to the FBI guys about the Ark of the Covenant, and he has the chalkboard and outlining everything. They kind of do that in this movie, but uh, they don't mention time travel at all because nobody knows what the Antikythera mechanism does. They talk about it a little bit in Indy's uh, class, uh, where Helena Shaw shows up. But yeah, th- there isn't that exposition that tells you this is exactly what it is, this is what it does, this is why we can't let it fall into the bad guy's hands. It's just kind of like, this is a thing, nobody knows what it does. I will say this. I've seen a lot of criticism of Helena, Helena Shaw online. And she is very, very watchable and very, very believable in the character in this movie. What she's asked to do I think she does extremely well. I think she has great chemistry with with, with um, Harrison Ford in this movie. Um, I think that she could have easily played the villain in this movie with how she establishes herself early on in this film, right? I, I think that the script doesn't do her character enough service in a character arc, and I think that's the problem with the character, but I don't think this has anything to do with her work. Oh, no, she was fantastic. And I, I love the dichotomy with her and Indiana Jones because uh, Indy and her father, um, Basil, 
uh, played by uh, Toby Jones. Uh, had to think about it for a second there, are very much, uh, we need to find these relics and put them in a museum. Whereas she has a different slant. I need to find these relics and sell them to the highest bidder, which is a great kind of juxtaposition against Indiana Jones. And the fact that he kind of rubs off on her and, you know, creates her character arc where she comes around to his way of thinking. To your point, John, you mentioned that is handled in kind of a, a, a muddy fashion. They, they We're missing a couple of scenes. We're actually missing a, a, quite a few scenes in this film that would have helped a lot, uh, including one that involves the villain that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. And they could have easily shaved 40 minutes of action scenes because the action scenes in this film, uh, not very well done, I, I didn't think, especially that that opening one. And uh, uh, we should talk about the Beatles at some point, but let's just talk about the opening 20 minutes and the de-aging effect that was used Um I'm not usually a big fan of de-aging. I think Marvel does it as well as anybody because it's very um, it's very subtle. Whereas in this film, you're, you're really going all out. It's kind of like uh, Mark Hamill uh, in the Mandalorian type stuff. What did you think of the uh, de-aging? And what did you think of the first 20 minutes of the film? I thought the first 20 minutes of the film were fine. I think the de-aging for the most part didn't bother me. Um, it lacked the excitement I'm used to with an opening indie sequence i know a lot's happening but here's my problem we're in this digital age now and it lacks this tangibility to me everyone's criticized parts of the de-aging the most unbelievable parts for me were when it felt like indie was running on top of the train things like that that just felt so digital and so like off um the movements to me didn't feel right and that that's really what bothered me is I miss the miniatures and I, I really miss the tangibility of the older movies. I had a problem with, with like that with Crystal Skull. I had a bigger problem with this movie because it's like they've pushed the effects further and they're trying to push indie to do more. And I feel like a lot of times with an indie movie, less is more. Well, and Crystal Skull, uh, the first couple of action sequences in that film were fantastic. The Area 51 action scene I thought was great. Uh, the motorcycle chase uh, through the college campus, I thought was fantastic. That was all done practically. But like right. you said, th this is all uh, very digital and, and it really shows. And the, you know, the de-aging, uh, whenever Harrison Ford wasn't talking or moving too much, it was spot on. Uh, whenever he talked or, or moved around a little bit, it, it, it kind of got off a little bit. But um, I, I what I was upset by in that every Indiana Jones film, it kicks off with him going after something that's not the main MacGuffin of the movie. Right, like in Raiders Lost Ark, he's going for that little gold idol. Uh, in Temple of Doom, he's looking for the uh, the remains of Nurhachi, and in uh, Last Crusade, uh, he was going for the cross of the Coronado. Uh, and in this film, uh, they start off thinking he's going for the Holy Lance of Longinus, uh, which is the uh, blade that pierced the side of Jesus Christ, which is another uh, religious relic that you think Hitler would be interested in. Turns out it's a fake, and the villain is more interested in in Archimedes' dial. Um, I, I, and I guess we have to get to the plot a little quicker. As we mentioned, there's a lot in this movie, um, and it's already a, a long bloated movie as it is, and they needed to add some scenes for character. Um, so did, uh, I guess I, I wish I would have had that, that fun little adventure sequence. This one didn't feel fun. I guess to your point, Indiana Jones action sequences should feel fun. And, and, and to, to your point, I think it was another way to get to where they got to with it and i don't think that you needed the dial in the opening sequence i really right. don't I, I i think that they could have been looking for the blade the blade could have been a fake or it could have been real it was kind of arbitrary to, to everything i think that you really need to establish the relationship with toby jones i think they could have come across some paperwork for the dial i think 
something as simple as that. Like they were looking for the Nazis were looking for the dial, and this is what leads them down that road. And then he's like, "That's just some paperwork. Ignore it, right?" And Toby Jones doesn't. And then that sets Toby Jones' character off on the same exact path he ends up on, right? right. Um, I've heard people criticize like, "Oh, well, Indy had this friend that we've never heard about in all these movies," and yada yada yada. It's like, look. Some of that stuff of, of bringing people back was established with Crystal Skull. But the big three the big three indie movies are introducing indie sidekick in the opening act each time. I think that was one of my other problems. Is like it doesn't it should have introduced the goddaughter at the end of that sequence. Right? Because the whole point of, of those opening sequences, right? And you don't realize it, but even in uh Last Crusade. We sort of meet his dad, in, who's his sidekick in the third movie. Mm-hmm. We sort of meet his dad in 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 that opening sequence when, when he corrects Indy for being wrong and makes Indy give it back, right? Um, and it also has that great cut from young Indy to old Indy when in, young Indy puts on the hat and we get the silhouette of old Indy. It's one of the greatest dissolves in film history. Um, but... In this movie, I think there was an opportunity to tie a little bit, because they have two flashback scenes in this movie. I really feel like you only needed the one, right? They could have made the the train sequence a little bit shorter, and then they could have jumped to the house sequence and said a couple of days later or whatever and shown the fight at Toby Jones' house and established the goddaughter there. Then you jump to the future where she is. And that way it gives that opening sequence a little bit more purpose to the rest of the movie. I, I, I think, I, I think that if you move certain pieces of this movie around, you can get that feeling of an indie movie that I felt like I was missing. I think that we, we can taper some of the action sequences that you're criticizing. And I think we can just make this feel more like a whole indie movie. Got that 20 minute sequence to a nice tight seven or eight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like and like you said, put that second uh, uh, flashback uh, tail in it. There's you know ten years later, and, and then show that introduce the goddaughter, Basil's obsession, all that kind of stuff, and then you know kick kick into the main story. I think would have been fantastic. But uh, uh, we've been jabbering here for quite a bit. We haven't talked about the Beatles yet. So why do you say we play a little magical mystery tour from all the way back in 1967? <laughs> So, so I, this is not one of my favorite Beatles songs, um, but but where the song starts to get me and make me feel like the the Beatles that I love is the part we just stopped, right? Like, I don't know, is that John or Paul singing there? I think that's Paul on the uh, right. Yeah, there is. Look, a lot of people get a lot of the credit for being some of the greatest rock singers of all time. Paul's yell. Is one of my favorite sounds of rock. 
you know, when, when, when we get that Paul rock scream, that Paul rock yell is really one of my favorite sounds of music. And this is all due respect to Freddie Mercury and everybody else that gets all the credit in the world. I'm not saying that Paul is better, but I'm saying Paul doesn't get enough credit on those lists. No, I'd agree with you on that one. This was mainly a Paul song. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think John said that, you know, he helped with like the lyric or something, but it was mainly Paul, uh, you know, after he kind of conceived what the film was going to be. And I've uh, full disclosure, never seen the movie magical mystery tour. I've only heard the album uh, a few times. So I know uh, I am the walrus uh, comes from this one, uh, which is a very uh, trippy song, but it, it, some really good songs are on this album too, that I, you know, fool on the hill uh, came from this one. Hello, goodbye, strawberry fields, penny lane. All you need is love. A very, very big album uh, from 1967. And and this is just a nice little, you know, two minute, 50 second uh, kind of intro song, kind of like Sgt. Pepper's, uh, you know, which was the album that preceded this one. Or sorry, that, that came before this one. So, um, you know, it, it does the trick. Uh, and it really did the trick in Indiana Jones, too, because uh, it, it bangs in there nice and loud with the roll on from the mystery tour. And uh, Andy's, you know, awakened from his slumber in his easy chair in his underpants. Uh, puts on a shirt to go yell at the neighbor. Can't remember the neighbor's name. Uh, do you remember John? What what his name was? Who? The 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 neighbor that Indy went to yell at because he yelled his name quite a bit. Yeah, no, no, no. I know, but who? Like, I, I look. The movie was like nine and a half hours long. Corey, you're asking me to remember something from hour one, right? There were so many action sequences. First of all, there that came after that that pain that fairly painful opening sequence. And and we don't get it again. I, I want to say it was like Jack or something, something like that. Yeah, I want to say Jack, but like I can't. Like I already feel like I've forgotten more of this movie than most other indie movies. And, and like you and I had a conversation about like Crystal Skull, and like you're like, oh no, Crystal Skull is easily worse than this. But you had just rewatched Crystal Skull. I remember more parts of Crystal Skull, and I've only seen Crystal Skull the one time. Um, I remember more parts, good and bad, about that movie than I remember about this movie. I feel like this movie's crime for me is pacing, and it bored me. And because of that, I've forgotten a lot of it already. And, you know, after uh, rewatching Crystal Skull, I it's not that bad. Like, the first two acts are actually pretty tight, pretty decent. Uh, the third act is where things kind of fall apart for me. Uh, in Crystal Skull, whereas this one, I, I had more problems kind of throughout. Uh, I, I may be able to sit back and say it's a better film uh, because I like the MacGuffin better or something like that. I don't really know. I haven't uh, lived with the movie long enough. Uh, right. I have to have those fridge moments, right, where I'm thinking afterwards, well, wait, did this make sense? Did this happen? So, so, so like you mentioned the fridge moment. Like for me, yeah, I don't love the MacGuffin in uh, Crystal Skull. But the things that really bother me, and it's really two things that bother me. Like, everyone's like, I don't like Shia LaBeouf. I don't like Shia LaBeouf in that movie. It's like, I'm fine with Shia LaBeouf in that movie. I'm shy, I'm fine with his storyline. Um, what, what I don't love is the Tarzan swing with the monkeys. I think it's just over the top and ridiculous. Right. And, and I don't love I don't love the refrigerator scene. Mainly, mainly because... Indy would break his neck. Like, forget the f nuclear fallout and everything else. Just the physics of it would kill the man. Um, I don't love those two things. Indy, never, Indy never needed to survive an atomic bomb. Like, we just we we went a, a step too far. Um, but but other than that, I think there's a lot of fun in that movie. I think the opening sequence of that movie is very exciting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think Kate Blanchett is incredible. One of the things that bothered me about this movie are the henchmen, right? You have that overly big, overly tall henchman, which you get in an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. He lingers around too long and becomes too rid- ridiculous to the eye after a while. Um, a lot of the other movies, he's that character, that trope is part of a very quick sequence that's going to give Indy an obstacle he's going to get past. This guy, A, isn't Indy's ob- obstacle. And B, even his demise has nothing to do with his size. There's no, nothing- it's terrible. He's just right? straight up murdered. Right. There's nothing interesting about it at all. Right. Um, it, it doesn't and 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 um it was a boy holbrook plays the yes. other villain yeah and his character um and his relationship to germany or being a mercenary or whatever is so poorly established and he's so cartoonish in the role um it does not work for me is it established at all like he's obviously an american working for a german but it's never established why um, the CIA agent who is very poorly dispatched of too in this movie. Yes. Yep. Was a very fascinating character, gone too soon, and 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 very poorly used in this movie. I think she could have been a great ally to Indy throughout the movie. Get rid of Teddy and have her tag along with with Sean with Indy. That would have been fantastic. Right. Like I don't want to rewrite the script, but like it feels like. But, but 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 it feels like. I was saying there are certain moving parts in this movie that if you just move them enough, you don't just have like, oh, that's a that's an indie movie or that's a good movie. You have like one like like a great indie movie that fits like we we've heard ad nauseum like Crystal Skull is the bad indie movie. I think that this has enough pieces to move around that you get something that's as good as the the, the top three. Oh, I agree. And uh, you, you mentioned the big henchman, of course, in Raiders. Uh, he was chewed up by a propeller. Uh, in Temple of Doom, he was crushed by a rock crusher. Uh, in uh, uh, Last Crusade, uh, he wasn't really big, uh, but it, probably that head Nazi uh, henchman uh, was on the tank that went flying over the cliff. Um, in the fourth one, uh, big Russian henchman eaten by ants, all dispatched interestingly. Here he's just straight up murdered by a kid, uh, which I thought was terrible. And I also, I also thought that this one had way like all of those characters get introduced within a scene or two of their demise. This one is throughout the movie and very present throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're going to do that, you then need an, a, like a really over the top way to dispose of them because, like it's been established in these movies, that's what happens with these characters. Yep, and you miss that. But what this movie does have is an all time great villain. Uh, Jurgen Voller, played by Mads Mikkelsen, a uh, fantastic villain. First of all, Mads Mikkelsen is a legend in his own right. He plays bad guys better than anybody, and he is fantastic as Voller, who's a Nazi uh, captured during World War II, who helps with the Apollo moon landing program. And it's his big uh, MacGuffin why he wants to go back. And again, spoilers, but I just want to because this is so cool. He doesn't want to go back to help Hitler. He wants to go back to kill Hitler and replace him and do it better. And I thought that was fantastic. I have I have one problem with Bowler as a villain, right? And I've heard different criticism about about he needed an extra scene, he needed more screen time. He, I think everything about Bowler is perfect except for one thing in this movie. He doesn't have an iconic look. 
And I think that that could have been fixed very easily. They have him get leveled by a pole inexplicably that should have killed him in this movie. I don't. First of all, I don't think the hit should have been that hard because he shouldn't even have a head anymore. But I think something like that should have happened that disfigured him enough to almost give him like a two-faced sort of look, right? Because there's a lot of disfigurement and horror in, in the indie movies. I think something could have happened to just give him enough of a scar or something from that scene. And I feel like that's one of the things missing from the character. Okay, that, that didn't bug me because if you think about Last Crusade, um, you know, the villains there didn't have a, I guess the fact that one was a blonde, hot woman uh, was kind of different. But like Julian Glover's character, he looked pretty pretty plain Jane. Well, well, no, no, I'm not saying it needed it, but this movie was sorely lacking a horror element, right? And the horror element typically happens with the MacGuffin towards the end of the movie. And I think something like that, if you just have the disfigured villain, you wouldn't have needed the horror element because the villain would have served as the horror element for the movie. Yeah, and, and they did built in a, a natural way to do that with him getting whapped uh, in that opening sequence. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, maybe put a, a walrus mask on him and uh, call him the Eggman. Yeah. See, I'm trying to tie it back to the Beatles. <laughs> but, 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 but I would have even been fine with like um, Boardwalk Empire, like one of, the, one of those false masks, one of those mm -hmm. false face masks would, would look cool. But um, uh, just the fact that he wanted to go back in time to kill Hitler, I thought was genius. Oh, great. Great, great, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, oh, you're going to go win the world. What are you going to bring back your Fuhrer? I'm going to be the Fuhrer. Right? Like, and there's, oh, there's so many great moments with him in Indy, too, where he's like, you know, you you, you should have stayed in New York. And, and Indy's like, you should have stayed out of Poland. I, I love yeah. that fucking line. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get back to the Beatles. One of my problems with the song is everything's operating at an 11 constantly. Right? Like, like there's just, it feels like not even, not even the fact that everything's competing for space in your ears, but everything competing at the same time, at the same volume for space in your ears. Yeah, no, I could see that. It, it's, yeah. Uh, looking at the, like I said, I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not sure how this ties into the movie Magical Mystery Tour. But, you know, you, you look at the other tracks on this album, you know, Fool on the Hill uh, is, is not that way. Uh, neither is, uh, you know, Hello Goodbye or Strawberry Fields or Penny Lane or, or any of those. So, um, yeah, God, without seeing Magical Mystery Tour, it's kind of hard to say how that fits in there. Uh, how it fits in our movie, of course, we've already covered. But um, the Beatles were not uh, adverse to uh, experimenting with all sorts of different things uh, at this time in their history, as everybody uh, well knows. Um, back in the 1960s, uh, this is kind of in that psychedelic uh, uh, part uh, of the band's history. Um, like, what was your favorite era of the Beatles, John? Were you uh, you like kind of the Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour, Yellow Submarine type era, or was it more um, "I Want to Hold Your Hand" and and that kind of stuff? I don't know. It's tough because, like, I, I look, I like parts of all eras of the Beatles, so it, it, it's tough for me. To say like it's 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 hard to argue with the Rubber Soul era, um, 
but but um I feel like the earliest Beatles, like the Quarrymen, might be my least favorite big Beatles. Like 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 that 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 very pop era of the Beatles might be my least favorite. I do like some of the psychedelic stuff. I always have. Um, but I, I think you might be right with that with that rubber soul era. Um yeah, you know, I, I I think when we get after this, I fall off a lot too. So I think the yeah. very early and the very late I fall off. Um and I'm kind of I guess whatever this mid span of the Beatles is. Like for you me, know, you know, uh, a hard day's night uh was was probably the first album I really loved of the Beatles, and then you had Beatles for Sale and then Help and then Rubber Soul and then Revolver. That that was kind of the the glory days for me in my Beatles fandom. I don't know. I love the White Album. I really do. And that um, came right after this one, uh, nineteen sixty. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of like Sergeant Pepper. Mm-hmm. Um. So 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 it's tough, right? Like, but I I love Rubber Soul and Revolver too. So, you, you know, like I would say, anything that I just mentioned are like my favorite eras of the Beatles. Beatles were a pretty decent band. Yeah, we'll have right. to cover them. We'll have to cover them a few more times. I had, we we you know we did a, a podcast with our friend Ken Napsock on uh, Get Back. Actually, it was a TV show. It wasn't even a podcast. We should maybe revisit that one. Yeah, I'd be game for that. What what do you think of that change up? The like you just the song you just gave us two change ups there. What do you think? I, I always like the change up. I, I was thinking the, the, there was that the, that slow down back into the chorus and uh, Paul's bass. Um, I thought was really showcased nicely on this one. Obviously, it's a Paul tune, uh, but uh, I really like that the bass was up front on this one. But uh, I, I you know it, it's 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 cinematic in that you have uh, uh, you know how this song is kind of put together. And uh, again, have not seen the movie magical mystery tour i'm sure it it plays into that uh, a lot better than uh, i'm talking about it here but as a song i always really dug it how about you no i i do i i do i do it a lot and um i love i love when the band like bands in general do this i think Beatles the beatles do this as good if not better than any other band yep i agree maybe that's something to do with the uh, transcendental meditation that they were doing around this time with uh, Mararishi Mareshi Yogi. Yeah. Which is lampooned quite hilariously in uh, Dewey Cox. Yes, it is. Very, very much so. <laughs> which is maybe my, my favorite on-screen portrayal of the Beatles because you had Jack Black uh, as John Lennon, uh, Paul Rudd as Paul McCartney. Uh, I think Justin Long was George Harrison. And, uh, oh, who the heck played Ringo? Was it Justin Schwartzman? Or... Yeah, I think it was Jason, Jason Schwartzman, I think. Jason Schwartzman, thank you, yeah. But it, it had one of my favorite lines where, uh, I know it was Paul Rudd, John Lennon, maybe, because he, he sang the refrain, mm, Paul is a big fat cunt. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. So Jack Black was Paul McCartney and Paul Rudd was John Lennon, which is just uh, note perfect casting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
the brilliance of the song choice for this movie to find a song that was just going to grate on indie though with the repetitiveness and, and and the sheer volume of the song is really brilliant for the time even theme wise uh you know uh magical mystery tour uh you know suggests a, a trip uh in this film obviously more of a psychedelic trip but uh, indy of course would be going on, on quite the trip himself uh heading uh you know, all over New York City uh, during the Apollo uh, moon landing, the astronauts uh, ticker tape parade uh, all the way to uh, 214 BC and, and the siege of Syracuse with the Roman army. So he kind of covers a lot of ground. Yeah, he does. He, 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 re- he really does. And, you know, much like this song, it's not a trip he seems like he wants to be on, which I think was one of my other problems with the movie. Um, it, it, la- it lacked a certain, like, joy that the other indie movies have well and indy was like because of course at this time in indy's uh life he had lost his son uh in the vietnam war uh he lost his wife who had left him uh he's not in a good spot when we pick up with dr jones i also think that they didn't need to kill him off like i i get that shia LaBeouf wasn't coming back he could have just moved to montana mm-hmm but I, I think for for character motivation, right? Because the the whole thing was you want to get Indy in the past, and and you know his character arc has to be. I don't I don't know how to describe this. He's stuck in the past. He wants to stay there, and it, it's Helena who you know makes him kind of make the choice for him that he can't stay there. But but I don't think that he needed his son to be dead to want to be there. Indy's always been a man of that. Right. So I, I don't think that I, I honestly think that they could have used Indy's always been that way. And they could have established it because Indy has always been that way. This belongs in the museum. And well, you belong in the museum. Like that sort of stuff with mm-hmm. Indy. I think that they could could have kept that going and just made it like, look, he and Mutt never got along. I don't think it actually tracks for Mutt's character, right? That Mutt would join the army. Even to right. piss off his dad, which is right. the motivation they gave in the movie, yeah. Right. Like, I, I could see Mutt being arrested for defiling a historic monument. Like, that fits more with who Mutt seemed to be. Mm-hmm. But Mutt's character was like this rebellious 50s kid. Him joining up with armies and stuff didn't really track. Or well, maybe he was a 60s kid by that point it didn't track for me with, with, with the motivations of the character. There was a lot of motivational issues uh, uh, in this film. Uh, even uh, one of my major uh, problems with the film, uh, first of all, how they just murder people. Uh, usually it's just the bad guys that, that, that die in Indiana Jones films and innocent bystanders are all fine. Uh, there's a few that get murdered in this one. And then Indiana Jones gets framed for their murder for some reason. That's supposed to be a motivating factor somehow, even though it, turns out it's not and it doesn't get resolved at all you don't need that at all in this story i don't think it really took me out of the film that you know indy happens upon just two colleagues uh, getting brutally murdered in cold blood and and that's supposed to kind of kick start his journey you didn't need that no i didn't you need it it was also like grotesque in a lot of ways and 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 it it doesn't fit the the the, the tone of indie movies at all um yeah it becomes a problem because it makes it makes the film far less fun yeah absolutely
right? That's the title cut from Magical Mystery Tour. I really got to watch that movie. Um, I, I don't know why uh, it's eluded me up to this point. Uh, obviously, I've seen A Hard Day's Night and, and Help, uh, two fantastic Beatle movies, but uh, never seen Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, the song, I, I, I dig. It, it's pretty decent. How it ties into that film, I have no idea. But I love the use of it, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, John, what are your final thoughts on this track and on this movie? I think I, I think that this is um, it's a fine track. It, look, I don't want to bash the Beatles, especially not on our show. This is not one of my favorite Beatles tracks. I think it's a uh, it's a fine track. It's it's usually one that if it's on my it, it's on a um, mix that I have, I'll, I'll probably skip it. If it's on the radio, I'll, I'll, I I might even turn the radio down a little bit. I may there may be a little bit of indie in me when it comes when it comes to this particular Beatles song, um, but but. Overall, there are parts of it that I think highlight what makes the Beatles great. I think it's very similar to this film, and that I didn't love this film, but there are parts of it you could pull out and certainly highlight what I love about the series. Yeah, no, that's well said. I, I agree totally. Like I said, on the film, I'm I'm positive, mildly, uh, it's fine. I, I think was was my initial review. Um, I, I certainly was was hoping for more, uh, and I'm, I'm a big James Mangold fan. Like he going through his filmography. Uh, Ford v Ferrari, uh, Logan, uh, Walk the uh, Walk the Line, uh, Three Ten Yuma, which is a movie I just watched a few weeks ago and absolutely loved. A great Elmore Leonard western uh, that he just directed so well. Um, th- th- you know, this is a completely made film uh, in a lot of ways. Like John said, though, it doesn't feel like an Indiana Jones film, and to me, that's the biggest disappointment of it. Uh, there are certain aspects of this film that are in there that you don't have in an Indiana Jones film. Uh, so, so that was disappointing, but. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's a, would you say it's a fitting uh, conclusion to the indie character now that we're all done with this series? I actually feel like Last Crusade was the fitting char- ending to the character and that we we, we have now mil- milked this cow for more milk than it has. I know. Uh, the Last Crusade was such a perfect ending. Uh, I, I don't know why you go back to that well, um, but for some reason, uh, George Lucas and Harrison Ford are both really keen on continuing on it was steven spielberg saying do we really want to do this and then he kind of put in that type of effort in uh, crystal skull and it showed and he didn't even want to do this one like he was kind of off and on directing uh, a fifth indiana jones film for a while and then finally just said no you know what let's let the younger generation take a crack at it uh that man was james mangold uh did his best there's a, a good stuff in here but just not enough uh to make it an all-time classic indie adventure And with that said, on behalf of my friend John Mariano, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Backtracks Theme Music. Stay where you are. Don't move. Who are these people? We need to get out of here. Are they with you? Not an inch, Miss Shaw. Miss Shaw, stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, it's over. Who are you people? What do you want? Stop! Helena Shaw! She's on the roof. Find another way up. Dr. Jones! Dr. Jones, I'm not gonna hurt you. 